Welcome to Indie Depth, the show where we go in-depth with independent filmmakers. I'm your host, Andrew Froning. Today, I have Daryl Denner, a New York City filmmaker whose second feature film, Unspoken, is now in the festival run. Thanks for being with us, Daryl. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. All right, so, Daryl, one thing I've noticed about your films right off the bat, I have to say, um, some of the topics can be a little heavy, but <laughs> they also seem very worthwhile. Um, why don't we talk about making a film that has a meaningful theme? Um, well, you know, I, I tend to, um, I mean, stories just come to mind, you know, just... Um, whether I'm listening to music or I'm watching one of my old movies that I enjoy watching, uh, the classic films. And, you know, these ideas just come to me. And um, I tend to center it around possibly maybe conversa uh, conversations I have with people uh, or based on my own experiences. And I just, I kind of just create characters and stories out of that. And, um, the initial intent is just to tell a story, uh, but it's always a good thing if somebody takes something from the story. You know, um, that's always a benefit. You know, uh, sure. but uh, it's really just like I said. It's just really about telling stories. That's all. And um, it, like I said, if it if it comes across a certain way and you take something from that story, then I did a good job, or should I say I did my job? Sure. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely, and I know you spoken about your love for older films and you know not right. just the classics but i can see on your facebook you delve into some unknown stuff some westerns and all sorts of stuff right. i do myself um and i feel like those films definitely have more true to life more meaningful themes so i don't mm -hmm. know if there's a bit of an influence there but um i know i tend to make things that are maybe a little more action-oriented or a little more like commercially i don't know what the hell i'm doing it's just what i like you know i make what i like <laughs> right. that's, it. that's it that's what it comes down to just do what you like and so yeah and hopefully other people like it <laughs> yep and um so you've dealt with themes on the topics of um spousal abuse and mm -hmm. infidelity um right did you start off with a character? Did you start off with a theme? What's your process? Um, well, the domestic abuse one, um, I'm, a, I'm a retired New York City police officer. Um, so when I was doing that job, I, you know, I came across a lot of, um, of course, a lot of people going through these kind of um, situations. And that kind of led me to, uh, to write this story grounded in that uh, reality. Um, as far as, uh, that was my first feature film and, and, um, and for the second one I had to do more of, uh, relationships and that one was really about, I, I just had this idea listening to music about, um, two individuals sitting in a park, you know, spending time together. And then, um, from that little idea, everything else came into play about the, you know, um, relationships and, uh. You know, longing for somebody that you, you know, for, perhaps forbidden love, you know, stuff of that nature. So, but um, yeah, that's pretty much how that came across. Yeah, so you have the yeah. seed, and the seed blossoms, and it just yeah grows just, into a big feature film. 
that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. As long as you have an idea, I mean, you can always expand from that. Right. You know? Yeah. And I've talked that's... with certain other filmmakers about um, filmmakers who are more audio centric. Um, okay. Do you find that you're more picture or audio centric when you first think of something, or a little bit of both? Uh, it's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um. You know, like I said, that um, that second feature, it all came from the idea of just this one particular scene. And that idea from that scene came from just listening to music. That's it. And so I kind of put the two together and I came up with the rest of the story. And so, yeah. So I guess you could say I mixed both of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's an interesting um, way to start listening to music. And I was speaking with another filmmaker, Elijah St. Amant, who has a music background about... Okay. Um, how music can it can really change what um the story is about and i think what i was really just trying to say at first was we had talked about having different inspirations not just say watching the type of movies that you want to watch or that you want to make but also looking at art um Mm -hmm. paintings um, listening to music just having a bigger pool of art to choose from in order to make something that's, you know, not exactly what everybody else is doing. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of amazing where ideas come from and, you know, what makes you want to just make these films and stuff, you know? Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's... A, it's a, music is definitely key, though, I, I for me. I mean, you know, I like listening to music and coming up with ideas. The only thing is, when I do that, a lot of times I got to keep hearing the same song as I'm writing and stuff like that. So it's kind of kind of weird at times. <laughs> okay, so so you might find a song and then just listen to it a few times to are you trying to distill the meaning or are you trying to pull something of your own experience out of it? Yeah, I mean it kind of I kind of get the feel from it, you know. Um and like you said I kind of put my own experiences into it and also maybe experiences from friends or family that I've I've spoken to but um if um if I started the idea from listening to a particular song or um a music score or something then I always have to listen to that on and on and on as I'm writing just keep rewinding that song or music score and okay. just keep writing throughout that. the writing process yeah yeah just, what about into of, production and editing do the same song on repeat? No, no. You know, surprisingly, no. Okay. No, once I uh, start filming, then that's it. I just uh, have my script, and I just go by that, and um, and that's it. And so, um, yeah, no, I don't use it for, for that. So that, that part's written, and then when you go into production, um, mm-hmm. we've on the show we've talked about how something gets written a couple times. You know, it gets written as a script, it gets written as you're in production, and then it gets written yes. in editing. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find that the story gets distilled down um do you, do you discover more as you approach and get into that editing stage uh yeah i guess you could say that i, I mean it's been my experience um what i write and what i film it never comes out exactly the same right you know? uh, <laughs> So I don't know if that goes for everybody, but for me, that's, you know, it's, it's always like that. But, um, yeah, because in the editing, um, in post, it kind of, sometimes you, there are certain ideas, like when I'm working with an editor, 
you know, we collaborate on like certain things and maybe there are scenes that we remove or, uh, you know, it's funny that you could kind of alter scenes, of course, when you're editing and uh, things could, it could put a, a little change to your whole story, you know. Um, so I'm always open to, you know, ideas when I'm uh, sitting down for posts and doing editing and stuff like that. Okay. I mean, I, I don't edit. I, I sit with an editor and they, they do the editing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because um, a lot of the indif independent filmmakers that I talk to, um, they're kind of, they write, they shoot, they edit. Um, let's talk about the collaboration process there with editing. How do you make that work? And when you start with an editor, do you start at the script stage during production or once everything is shot? Well, I, I've been lucky um, where, I mean, most of the time when it comes down to uh, working with an editor is somebody who's been on the set, um, you know, whether it be a DP or, you know, maybe they have some other function on the set. So they already, they're already aware of the feel of the film and, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do with the film and stuff of that nature. I mean, one school of thought is never have um, your editor your DP, you know, you should, some people say you should, you should switch it up or have different eyes on your film. But it's been my experience, like I said, uh, most of the time my editor happens to be my, my uh, director of photography. So, um, yeah, so we already, we're already on the same page and, you know, they already know what I'm looking for. And, you know, so it's, it's not like I'm starting from scratch trying to explain a story to somebody. Sure. So. Yeah, I shoot and edit sometimes the same project a lot and yeah. it, it's helpful because you're not starting from scratch you know right. you know what's going on you know what you were going for you know what the director was going for mm -hmm. on the day and you just it's a lot easier to start assembling i feel i, I agree i agree um you know that's been the way i i've operated for the last what uh, 12 years or whatever okay so yeah and then yeah. i definitely agree with um, having a new set of eyes um, but often that can mean just stepping away from the project for two weeks just totally clearing it out of your head and then yeah. sitting down and watching it on a screen render the cut you have and then mm -hmm. then you can watch it and cringe <laughs> which is always brutal with that first cut <laughs> yeah but uh, uh once you do have that separation happened. i feel that you can you can better look at it objectively yes Yes, absolutely. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. And so, but that first cut is always brutal. <laughs> the first cut is always it is it is. <laughs> yeah, that one's rough. But, um, but yeah, no, that's um, like I said, that's the way I operate. Normally, I'm working with an editor who's involved already with the production. Uh, you know, when we're filming, and so. Daryl, you talked about your love for old movies, which you and I yes. share. Do you think, um, what impact does watching older films have on you as an artist? Uh, well, for me, it's, um, it's always interesting to go back to the old films because it, it, you're watching films where there is no green screen, you know, depending on how far back you're going. I'm, I'm talking about watching films. Like, I watch films from, like, the late 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and, uh, you know, so forth, and... I'm always interested in the stories and the films where you know there's no special effects. So it's mainly on acting and what you do with that camera, you know. And um, 
I'm always impressed, you know, watching stuff like that. Um, I just saw a movie the other day, Brief Encounter. Ooh, um, classic. With, yeah, they, well, I just saw it for the first time the other day. Uh, David Lean, I believe, directed that one. Yeah, you have Noel Coward. Yeah, it's um, but that's an example. I mean, I'm sitting there watching, and there's no effects there. It's just you know, it's about this uh, relationship between two people, and and that's it. And acting and story, and that's it. You know, and it's uh, beautifully shot, and you know, I I get inspired from things like that. You know, after I saw that movie, I was like, all right, time to write. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> and so. story too. Like you're right, there were no special effects that you could rely on as a crutch when you had to pitch. Your story. You know, if you were going to do something like Harold Lloyd, um, you could say, I'm going to hang from a clock, and people go, wow. But <laughs> there, there was still a film there, you know. Um, I've watched, um, I think my older movie phase started with Hitchcock because mm -hmm. I watched Psycho, and I was like, wow, this is like so much better than so many movies I've ever seen. So I've, I've gone back through his filmography to the 30s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's funny you mentioned Psycho, because that was a movie that got me into filmmaking. Really? You know? Okay. Yeah, same thing, just like you. Um, you see that movie, you're like, wow, I want to do this, you yeah. know? He did so, so much with so little. Like, the studio is against him. <laughs> he did it low budget. <laughs> yep. It's got that indie spirit. And it's just amazing the way he did it. And like you, I mean, when after I saw that movie, that's when uh, film study started for me. I used to watch movies a lot, but after seeing Psycho, um, or should I say revisiting Psycho, that's when I started uh, studying films and, and going back, seeing more of Hitchcock's movies, and and then started watching other directors around that time. And so, yeah, so it's the same thing. It's funny you mentioned Psycho, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff. I remember I got a, a book of, like, the hundred essential film noir movies and i went through like mm -hmm. every single one i could find i think i got like 90 something into it there are a couple i couldn't find but <laughs> that that was neat because just the way they told stories back then um again so, low budget yeah. you know they were called melodramas back then because yes. they were super emotional and the music was orchestral mm -hmm. and you know it was weird that film noir always has um like the legacy of jazz around it, but the only time yep. you really hear jazz in film noir mm -hmm. movies are when they're in a jazz club. The, right, yeah. the score is always orchestral. Mm -hmm. And the way they play with shadows in those uh, in that genre as well. Yeah, that's. Uh -huh. I got into cinematography. I think by watching those movies and just yes. seeing what they did, how they lit the third man, mm -hmm. how they lit. Um, just a lot of those uh, old film noirs, just gorgeous. Um, M by Fritz Lang, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Peter Lorre, right? Yeah, yeah, early sound film, um, made in, Ger made in Germany. Just Fritz Lang is another one, super, super good. Yeah, yeah, I just saw another one of his movies on uh, Criterion, um, The Big Heat. With, uh, I don't know if you've ever Ooh. seen that one with Glenn Ford. Um, the Big Heat. I've seen so many film noir movies called like mm -hmm. the big something. There's the big sleep. Yes. There's the big, the Bogart. The big yeah. chill. Or <laughs> there's a lot, but um, I'll have to check that out because I wasn't aware of that movie being by him. So I'm gonna have to check that. Yeah, one out. I didn't. Know. I just happened to come across that because I I just recently, you know, being quarantined, I just picked I bought, I got the quarant uh, Criterion channel and nice. uh, started a lot of a lot of movies on that, and I never heard of of um. 
the big heat. And then I just saw it for its length. I said, wow, okay, never heard of this one. Yeah, I've got a, um, I think it's a Kino Lorber set of his early silent films. Got like Metropolis (laughs) and all these other ones. Like I watched his first few things and it's just so, so weird. You know, the black and white with the tinted colors for effects. I'm supposed to watch Metropolis this week, and I've never seen that one. Ooh, it's a good one. There's a couple different cuts, and I have no idea which one I've watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I gotta, um, I gotta look into that. And maybe do some. Now that you told me different cuts, maybe I'll do some research on that one to yeah. see which which one I'm gonna see. And so look into it. It's good stuff. And um, I've gotten Criterion. Um, I'm a big fan of. The Blu-rays a little too much, if mm-hmm. you ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> but I've discovered so many amazing filmmakers. Um, one of my favorites right now is a Polish filmmaker, Krzysztof Krzyslowski. I hope I'm saying that okay. right. Um, it's really, really just beautiful, beautiful themes. Um, mm-hmm. Everything from protecting the environment, you know, way before it was cool, <laughs> to um, like the ethics of being a camera person um capturing real life and like how that goes into your personal life like camera buff is one of my top favorite films oddly enough i haven't seen his three colors trilogy which is like supposedly his best work but blind chance some of his older ones i gotta gotta look into him yeah he was a little little obscure when i came out to him decalogue is his his other thing he did like a film series for television oh, so okay. and like each episode is based on the ten commandments really so you've got one episode per commandment but it's it's very like it feels real and it feels surreal a little bit at the <laughs> same time very interesting <laughs> thing i'm sure it's on the criterion <laughs> channel <laughs> i gotta look into that one i may have to ask you uh, to send me that information oh i will oh. i will yeah. count on it so. you'll have way too much to watch that's true that's true so way back when and you know i'm talking about early hitchcock right i was watching a film the other day murder and in it an actor has to save another actor from being hanged for a crime he believes she didn't commit and as an actor he says that we use our life to create art Mm-hmm. And isn't it odd that art criticizes life? It's interesting. So a yeah. lot of those deeper themes, you know, maybe due to some of these old movies and you know not being about transforming robots <laughs> and more about right. life itself. That's interesting. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to, like I was saying, yeah, that's why these, these older movies are like, they're, you know, you, you watch them and you always take something from them. I mean, I'm, I'm of course, I'm not putting down movies of today because, you know, I love my uh, superhero movies and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Who does? But, yeah, you know, big spectacles. But, you know, it's, um, you know, for me as a filmmaker, yeah, the, these older movies, you, you just, there's just so much, so much to learn from them, you know? Um and, you know, just to give you a quick example, you were talking about Hitchcock. I was watching um, a Hitchcock movie the other day that I've never uh, never seen before. And I'm a big fan of Hitchcock, but uh, Sabotage. Oh. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Yeah. Um, and Hitchcock talks about that movie a lot because, you know, you have that scene with this kid. He has a, He's on a bus and he has a bomb. 
And Hitchcock, through the movie, lets the audience know that, you know, this kid has a bomb. The, the kid doesn't know it, though. Mm. And, um, you know, it's going on and on. He's on this bus and has the buses, you know, passing these buildings. You see the time on each of the buildings because, you know, in the movie, they also let you know when this bomb is going to go off. And eventually it does go off. And Hitchcock is always complaining about that. And he, he now he's always saying um, the bomb must never go off. So every time I'm making a movie that has to do with some kind of suspense, I always keep that in mind. The bond must never go off. You gotta lengthen it. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. you gotta That's extend time. That's yeah. like the it's the epitome of um, like speed in those movies. With you know, you have to clip the red wire. It's like we only have three seconds, and the three seconds right. takes like a minute. Right. <laughs> the sweat rolling down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you you just learn. I mean, you just learn from these movies, man. It's and, and to hear some of these uh, filmmakers from back then talk. I mean, I mean, one of my favorite filmmakers. I mean, he don't like to talk much about filmmaking. Is John Ford because mm. uh, of his westerns. And um, but you know, there there are others who do like talking about you know Howard Hawks and so on and so forth. I mean, these are great directors, and you could learn a lot. You know, just uh, listening to what they say and just watching their movies. You know. Right. So. I'll tell anybody interested in getting started watching old movies. If it's around right. and you have access to it, mm -hmm. there's probably a reason it's still around. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend that to any upcoming filmmaker, like you know, like ourselves or whatever. I, you know, you just can't watch movies of today only. You have to, at least I feel, you have to. You just gotta dive into the classics. And, uh, when I say classics, I don't mean just the '80s. I'm talking about classics like going back, you know. Uh, pre-70s you know right go beyond so. terminator yeah <laughs> yeah you know a lot of the kids today when you know up-and-coming filmmakers when i talk to them they don't even know who indiana jones is you know that's uh wow. i'm like wow yeah yeah that's something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so if you were if you were to list i'm putting you on the spot here maybe five filmmakers to start mm -hmm. with who do you think five they should check out. Hitchcock is number one. Yes, I would say start definitely with Hitchcock. Um, I believe John Ford is another uh, great uh, director to, that you can learn from. I will go with Michael Cortese, um, Howard Hawks, and if I had to throw a uh, last one in there, I would say perhaps Anthony Mann. Mm. Yes, um, he, he did a lot of different him and Michael Cortese did a lot, well, and Howard Hawks, they did a lot of different uh, genres, you know. Um, so, yeah, that that would probably be my list of uh, filmmakers to look at. All right. I'm going to shoot out a couple just off the top of my head. Um, mm -hmm. Hitchcock. Start, <laughs> start with Hitchcock. He was the master of suspense. Yes. That's his nickname. It's <laughs> it's great. You know, start start with Psycho, even if you know the twist. You know, yes. it's just you get involved with it. You get enveloped in it. Um, yeah. Akira Kurosawa is mm -hmm. one of the classics. He like samurai films. He yes. made the best. I just recently started watching uh, his movies. So, so good. I, I have so many. Impressive. So many. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're all great. I've ordered like the box set of his first, his, I think it's called like the first films of Akira mm -hmm. Kurosawa. And I think it's like four or five films. And it's coming tomorrow. Nice. So excited. Nice. Um, Christoph. Oh, sorry? Uh, is it Criterion? Regular DVD? Um, yeah, it's a Criterion DVD. It might be the old, like, Eclipse. 
series yeah. where they they collect older things, put it on DVD. I've got a bunch yeah. of those I haven't even opened, but I'm gonna tear into this one tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Christoph Kieslowski. It's spelled with a lot of Y's and Z's. Um, Polish filmmaker. If if you mm-hmm. want to think about life, um, go into him. Andrei Tarkovsky. I've seen mm-hmm. all but one of his films, uh, The Mirror, and The Mirror is supposed to be his best. So I'm waiting for that one to have a Criterion release, hopefully soon. Um, you say you saw that? Sorry? You, you seen that movie? That's the, the only one I haven't seen. Oh, that, that you have not seen. Yeah, okay. he's got seven films, and they're all varying degrees of greatness. Yeah, I got to look into him as a director as well. Yeah, Russian filmmaker, but just very, very good. And later, I think he... He went up to Sweden um, uh-huh. with the USSR and all that stuff. He got out and started making films in different countries. And, ooh, anything with a film noir title, I think, <laughs> is is a good place to start. Because they're so cool. You know, I'll show them to my wife. She's not too crazy about old-timey black-and-white movies. But if it's film noir and it's, you know, somebody fighting for their life because... Yeah, because they got thrown in prison for no reason, like, yeah, or they've witnessed a murder and no one believes them because they're a woman, like, (laughs) yeah, people on the run, so good, murder, so good. But those shadows, I always and those shadows, yeah. If you're into cinematography, check out Mm -hmm. those shadows. And that last one was a bit of a a jump, so I'm gonna look over here. All right, Fritz Lang. Check Mm -hmm. out Fritz Lang. M, Metropolis. Those are the big ones. Um, Yes check those out and become a better filmmaker oh yeah listen i agree those old films man old films (laughs) so daryl you finished your second feature film unspoken it's in the film festival circuit which film festivals do you choose how do you choose there's so many uh you know i tend to um i go on film freeway and i tend to read about the festivals and uh, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times I look to see what they're interested in and see if my film maybe could be added to, you know, the kind of categories they're looking for or the, or the type of themes they're looking for. You know, it's, uh, it becomes this whole big process, you know, uh, as you're doing your research on film festivals. Um, but I also, you know, I tend to submit to film festivals that I've also gotten into before. Um because a lot, you know, there's a few of those festivals. Not a lot of, them, but there's a few of them that would, you know, the simple fact that you've been there before and maybe they like your work there, you know, they take your new projects as well just to uh, to screen them and stuff. So, sure, yeah, a lot of times, um, I, well, when I first started out, yeah, you know, I'd take mm-hmm. a chance. Oh, okay, yeah, this is local or this one sounds interesting. I've heard good things okay. about this place, and you know, varying degrees of, I had a great time. To, okay, well, that wasn't well everything i expected it to be but right. i think the film festivals that i continually enter are the ones where you make friends with the people who are running it some of the people that you know you've seen there or if you've had a good experience if you've had a good q a session i feel mm-hmm. i feel like the q a sessions are really underrated and the film festivals can fit that in then you're going to get so much more engagement with the crowd with the fellow yeah. filmmakers yeah, I think it's a very important process just to talk about the process. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's a good feeling, and it's um, when you have an audience that um, 
that starts, you know, that they ask questions, and you could tell that they were really paying attention to your film. It's a, it's a great, you know, great feeling, great experience. And so I, I agree. Q and A's are, are, you know, definitely essential, you know, for a filmmaker, you know, for that they could gauge how an audience feels about their film and and so on. I don't exactly do good at them, but you know, it's uh, still it's an opportunity to get good at them, right? <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. So. All right. So, a feature film. Um, uh-huh. It's a little harder to get a feature film in than a short film. Because yeah. short films are short. They can program so many in a block. But feature films, whether they're an hour and a half, shorter, or longer, mm-hmm. um, it's a bigger investment for the film festival to take it in. So how do you be, how are you selective in that respect? Uh, selective in submitting or right S- submitting and finding the right fit. Um, it, it's still the same thing, you know. It's kind of um, it's hard with feature films, you know. It's um, because like you said, I, I would imagine a lot of these festivals, uh, you know, they tend to look at who's in your film, you know, uh, could they get an audience with this film? Because remember, with short films, you gotta a block of short films, and you got a, a bunch of people who come see it because you got different filmmakers, different. Uh, family and friends who come to see it but with a feature that's that's your time so you know i'm sure with the festivals they're wondering all right can this person bring people in to to see the film and so on and so forth um so it, it's it's hard with a feature uh, what i'm gonna i was actually you know like you said i just finished my second feature film and has that's on the, the uh doing the festival circuit i'm gonna go back to doing short films um and the uh, reason being is because I feel, as you mentioned before, they're easier to program for uh, for festivals. And um, I'm starting to, when I first started making films, I was making short films that were like 40 minutes, you know. Um, so I'm kind of going away from that, and I'm looking to do films that are less than 10 minutes. If okay. I can make it for a film that's like five minutes, even better. Um, only because I feel it's easier for these uh, festivals to program and stuff. Sure. And, so. and beyond just the festival approach... Um, short film has short in the title um, a couple mm-hmm. people um, myself included I've made a 21 minute short film which it's almost like you want it to be a feature or you want it to be something bigger than right. what a short film can be and I, I really feel after doing that that there's a great importance in keeping a short film short yes I agree I, I definitely agree um like you, I mean, when I, you know, when I started with the shorts, it was like I felt like I, you know, you know, you kind of want to make it known that well, if I had the opportunity, I could make a feature. So your short film, you kind of make it a little longer than it really has to be. Um, but you know, basically with short film, you should be able to get to your point um, fairly uh, quickly. And like you said, that's why it's called short film. You know, so um, you know, once again, I'm gonna definitely try to get my films uh, somewhere between five and eight minutes maybe even less than that who knows um <clears throat> but it's also a good um um exercise as well you know uh for myself to to see how you know can i tell a story and get to the point um right away instead of needing um so many minutes to you know right so what is story hemingway was famous for writing a story and then cutting out the first act and then mm-hmm. dropping you in media res in his story in like the second act. 
Right. So no. that's something I try to keep in mind. Like, is all this setup necessary? You know, do can I get to the point faster? Can I get everything moving faster? Um, personally, I'm all about condensing what I've written. Would you you know, if, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, how do you feel, uh, feel about doing a short film with uh, like an open ending? You know how they say like films, uh, you know, when you tell them the story, should have a beginning, middle, and ending. I mean, if you're doing, let's say, a two-minute short or something like that, I mean, would you consider just not giving an ending? Just Well, every project's different. And right. if you're talking about an ending, like, say, Inception, where mm-hmm. that top is spinning and you're waiting to see if it drops and you are not given that, then that has something to do with the theme. Um, yes. So it would really, if that's what you're talking about, then totally, I think that's the best thing you can do for a short film is to get someone <laughs> thinking versus just, oh yeah, I watched that and it was neatly wrapped up because a good guy shot all the bad guys. I don't right. have to think about this anymore. What's next? Versus mm-hmm. if you're in a block of short films with five, six other people. Mm-hmm. People walk out and they want to talk to you about your film. That's right. you've done something right. No, oh, yeah, I, I agree. Because um, you, you know the reason I was asking is because um, that's another, like another school of thought on uh, short film. Some people uh, think, or some filmmakers think that um, sometimes it's good to leave it open. You know, where you don't have a conclusion, um, that way you may have an audience uh, wanting more. Okay. But um, I have yet to do that. But, I, I, I mean, I thought about it, though. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I that. haven't heard about that. But are they talking about... I'm just wondering if they're talking about making almost like a portion of a feature. Like, you know, this can become a feature. Like mm-hmm. seeding the idea, maybe. Yeah, I guess that's what, where they're going with that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, for that way, perhaps, if, like you said, if they're trying to pitch an idea, um, a potential producer may look at that and say, well, okay, we could do a lot with this. Um, even though it was, the short had an open ending, you know, it's um, it may just bring people in to want to invest to see more, you know? And so. Sure. And, so. and definitely yeah. ask questions because that's... That's the goal of a short film. You know, I've I've always I've been doing a lot of research. You know, when I was making short films, like what is the point of a short film? What what do I have to do? What do I have to accomplish to have mm-hmm. a successful film? And you can't really go into depth with a character. You can't. Right. You don't have that time. Just limited time. Yeah. What you can do is you can focus on an emotion. You can focus on you know maybe to a lesser degree a theme. But primarily, a lot of the most successful ones just focus on the emotion, whether it's loss, sadness. Um, you may not even know the characters' names. Right. But you feel what they feel. And if you can turn your film into an empathy machine, then that's that's really what filmmaking is about. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Definitely agree. And so... So would you would you ever make a movie like that though with a with an open ending Ooh, or you? I would love of... to. I would love to. Um, I have to have a theme where that works, but I, I feel that's a very brave way to mm-hmm. end a film, short or feature length. You know, any length. Right. 
I don't know about a TV show. I guess TV shows kind of do that all the time, though, right? With cliffhangers. Yeah, and I guess the media come tuned. back uh, to watch the next episode and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, there's usually a tag, you know, right before the credits, a bad guy comes in and does <laughs> something or like looks at the camera and mm-hmm. says a cool line, and you're like, "Oh no, our heroes are in trouble." Somebody's <laughs> pulling out a gun and boom, cuts and stuff like that. You gotta watch the next week's episode or whatever. Well, actually, now you stream things, so you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, watch the new episode now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think too many people wait for the the following week, so. It, it's almost yeah. hard nowadays to do that because there are a couple shows that I've been watching week to week. Um, mm-hmm. Devs on Hulu. I was watching okay. that way. And. Is that yeah, a new show? It, yeah, it's a new show. Alex Garland, who he wrote. 28 Days Later, the zombie film that Danny Boyle did. Uh-huh. He made Ex Machina, which is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies of the mm-hmm. 2010s. I think it's 2010s. Um, his most recent movie was Annihilation with Natalie Portman, which okay. I think did all right. I mean, it, it was yeah, I, it was good. It I, was just it was different. It was weird. But yeah, I never, I never seen it, but I came across that trailer before, yeah. Yeah, but his show Devs is... It's it's very philosophical um, in thinking about life, technology. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I could almost compare it to Tarkovsky's work if it was more modern. It's very you could sit down and like it's meditative, right? In a way, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that was week to week. You know, it wasn't like oh the season's out and. <laughs> so how did that feel on today's? Uh... Well, I, I think I probably watched the first two episodes like back to back, and I was like, "Wow, mm-hmm. can't wait for the next one." And then there was, you know, there's no next one for six days. <laughs> I couldn't take it. Right. <laughs> but you know, luckily they have the recaps. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Kind of sets you up for what's coming next. The important bits you needed to know. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's interesting how that could transfer over to a mm-hmm. film, and how all these different disciplines, especially with television, becoming more story and visual centric right how everything will merge in the near future yeah it's it's interesting it's interesting i tell you i mean it'd be interesting to see if cable's still around you know with um you know as we were talking about the whole streaming thing uh, you know i I don't know if people how long people gonna be uh tuning into shows where they gotta wait like a whole week to watch another episode and stuff like that you know as you were talking about the show that you watch on hulu same thing huh but yeah, it'd be interesting to see where things go. You yeah, know? especially with so many streaming services now. You know, yeah. if it's ten dollars a month or something, you got to pay that multiple times to get all your shows. That's right. Are yes. you gonna stick? You know, you got an internet connection. Do you need cable? Yeah, that's right. Don't know. That's right. <laughs> Choice <Yeah>. is yours. <laughs> be interesting to see where it goes. Definitely would be for sure. All right, Daryl Denner is a feature filmmaker. From New York City, thank you so much for coming on our show, Daryl. Is uh, there is there any place where we do you have a website or a place where we can see your work, social media? Uh, right now, I'm currently working on a uh, my website. I did have one, but uh, it, it needs work, so I, I don't uh, have the information on that now because it, it may change uh, and stuff like that. Um, as far as seeing some of my work, I mean, I do have some of my um, uh, short films on uh, YouTube and uh, and Vimeo. Um, just by typing in uh, my name, and uh, you can see some of my past work and stuff. So, but um, great! I'll put links in the description to all those, and 
thank you, Daryl, for going thank in deep depth. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>